Jenny Berry, uh, well, what a day. Longer than Cleopatra. That's what we discovered. <laughs> Four hours and 43 minutes, for crying out loud. Four overtimes, and it could have been five pretty easy, so. Wow, it was quite a day. What Lincoln Riley said earlier this week that he thought it would be a high-quality football game and a very entertaining game, or something to that effect. I think there was a fairly high entertainment factor. Ah, high quality. I was suspect. Uh, I thought that was a suspect uh, proclamation at the time. And I mean, there was there was some good play, but those were both teams with flaws, and they showed themselves at weird and unexpected times throughout that game. But even when the teams aren't super fantastic, that rivalry seems to always it always seems to provide some drama and a game that we'll be talking about for a while. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just uh, an incredible day. Like you said, Jenny, uh, a, a lot of flaws on each of these teams. Uh, well, both of them struggled with penalties. OU struggles went away there for, for a long time, but they were really hurt. OU's uh, offense got sluggish for uh, a, a pretty fair portion of the game, both in the second quarter and the, uh, the, the fourth. And the defense had some really good things, and then um, uh, it also had some some real stinkers. Uh, also, Barry, just what was the thing to you that surprised you the most about the way this game played out? I thought OU's defense, outside of the last two drives of the fourth quarter, played very very good football. You know. Texas with about I don't know five minutes left in the game four minutes left in the game Texas had 17 points and maybe I don't know 220 total yards something like that so played excellent football and then in overtime they played good football they get two stops out of four overtime possessions for the Longhorns so uh, you know I you know, Sam Ellinger went crazy on those last two drives with his scrambles. But otherwise, heck, I thought the OU defense, they get three takeaways. I thought it was an ex- exquisite performance by Alex Grinch's team. Yeah, Jenny, this is a, a lot different defensive look than we saw a week ago against Iowa State. And obviously there were some concerns, and this defense certainly is a, a long way aware away from where they need to be but I thought the defensive line played really well um, you talk about Perry on Winfrey had a couple of big plays the obviously the block punt from him in, in the third overtime uh, Isaiah Thomas got some pressure Nick Benito off the edge uh, was a disruptive force Benito with the sack on that third overtime right before the uh, Winfrey block punt but uh, heck uh, you know some fairly good coverage for a pretty fair portion of the game, including from some young players that we hadn't seen before much, including Woody Washington. So uh, even with the flaws, there are things that this OU defense can be encouraged about. Yeah, I thought um, I thought the defensive line, you know, they've had their moments. I mean, um, Isaiah Thomas had that, that big uh, sack at Iowa State a week ago, and, and they've had their times when they've 
shown themselves, but I thought today they were more consistently difference makers on the defense. I thought you saw them being a lot more disruptive. Um, I don't know what the numbers would look like. Seemed like they were blitzing a lot more, and that was something that Texas just wasn't really able to stop with a ton of consistency. They were, you know, getting to Ellinger and and uh, had some sacks. Didn't get didn't get nine like they had last year in this game, but sure, uh, six is still pretty six good. Six is though. still very good, and you know, so that that was good. And you know, I mean, I think that. Um, They got hurt some when Texas went to the sort of that quarterback delay draw um, in the fourth quarter. Frankly, I don't know why they didn't continue it. Um, uh, Ellinger was running was the most effective thing they had offensively. But, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the biggest issue and I mean, it's been this way. We this is not I'm not saying something that's new and until ground. But, you know, the safety position to me continues to be the thing that I, I just don't I don't know if there's a ton of upside there and maybe they're just to the point that's what they have to live with but you know penalties from safety position you know struggles there so I mean maybe if the rest of these things can continue to come along whether you're talking about your coverage guys or your front or you know linebackers I mean maybe if they can take it what we saw today and maybe up at another notch or so Maybe you can live with your safeties, you know, not being super fantastic. But that, to me, is the one thing that, you know, you just kind of head scratch because there just doesn't seem to be that kind of, you know, improvement over time. And I'm not just saying into the fourth game of the season. I'm talking, you know, over over the last few years. So uh, that would that would be the one thing I would say is still very concerning from my perspective. Yeah, OU's defense uh, did did struggle with the safety position. And really, when you talk about the safety position, you're talking about two guys, Pat Fields and, and Nickelback, uh, Brennan Radley-Hiles, who had uh, uh, some rough moments as well. But uh, Barry, on the other side, we did see the offensive line play, I thought, significantly better. And because of that, OU was finally able to run the football some. Yeah, you know, Sooners had over 200 yards rushing. T.J. Pledger played very well, made a lot of good cuts in, uh, in, in traffic and in space. Lincoln came up with a cool series, uh, Texas wrinkle, sort of an inverted zone read where the tailback is taking an inside handoff and running back towards the middle of the field instead of away from it. And uh, that continually played it uh, paid off. Marcus Major played very solid and as the backup tailback, and Spencer Rattler got a couple of open zone read scampers just because they were so keyed on that pledger play. So it was all in all a, a, a good offensive performance. Now Rattler had the two bad plays. Uh, I guess they were both in the second quarter. Um, last play of the well, first a, quarter. The last, last play of the first quarter. Last play of the first quarter, which was the interception, terrible, and then a fumble that set up 10 points for Texas. They didn't earn. So, um, you know, outside of that, I thought the offense was very good, and the offense in overtime was it was excellent. Lincoln asked them to score three times, and they and they scored three times. The other overtime, third overtime, he was just playing for a field goal, and Gabe Burkich missed it. So. Uh, the offense came through, and um, it, Rattler was a little shaky. 
But outside of that, I thought it was a good solid day by the office. You know, I hadn't really thought about this until you were just saying this, Barry, and, and you know, Rattler, he gets, he gets pulled, and we see Tanner Mordecai, but, you know, the one the one series that I thought the offensive line was was not good at all was the very first one for OU. Um, there was a bit of a high snap on the first play, you know, something you don't expect out of Creed Humphrey. Then he had a, a snap... Um, penalty it basically must have moved the ball I, I they were at the other end of the field so I'm not exactly sure what happened then they had I think either somebody moved or hold yeah well, there were there were two false starts in the opening drive the the punt drive yeah and it, it just kind of you had that offensive line just seemingly discombobulated and I don't I don't you know know if I want to lay that er, that first snap, uh, Rattler might have mishandled it to an extent as well, but um, it just kind of seemed to set the offense at least early on a little bit on edge. Now they they rallied and and you know got some points, but you just kind of wondered like what the heck's going on? And you, I I I just now was thinking, I wonder if that just kind of took whatever you know first OU Texas game start emotion Spentler, Spencer Rattler was having. And just sent it through the roof, and then we saw it all come, you know, crashing down with those two poor decisions uh, there midway through the the first half. So uh, it was it was a an auspicious start for the uh, the line, but yeah, they got it together. I thought I thought Pledger was really good, and uh, definitely had had room to to find holes and you know get get uh, ahead of speed ahead of steam going. It's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, Ramondre Stevenson at some point will be back, um, what that adds to the run game. So very interesting developments there. I think that's a good sign for Oklahoma. Yeah, and Barry, yeah, it, it seemed like, uh, it, you know, Lincoln Riley didn't trust the line, didn't trust the the running backs there early after, uh, you know, you gets the, the first and goal. I know a lot of you fans were, were not happy that, Lincoln Riley one didn't run it there and and two didn't go for it on fourth and goal from the two instead electing to kick the field goal but that confidence uh, grew throughout the game although in overtime TJ Pledger seemed to be banged up and and wasn't out on the field except for I, I think it was just the one play in overtime Rattler's uh, uh, fourth down sneak where he was basically a decoy yeah it you know, I thought all in all, um, Lincoln seemed to get more confidence in the running game the longer it went. You know, we saw that last week in Ames where he tried to punch it in with, with just bully ball early and then said enough of that. And, you know, anytime they got next to the goal line after that, he just dumped the ball to Jeremiah Hall on a rollout. Sort of the opposite today where they get close and he th- he's doing rollouts and throws and whatnot. But um, later, T.J. Pledger scores uh, from, uh, from close in. So I think Lincoln sort of was pleased with the way the run game got going. They needed that running game. And it was, you know, it paid off. It paid off. I, I think uh, the running game is going to be more important than ever to Rattler. The idea of Rattler as a, you know, a Heisman contender um that was sort of put to rest you know he's he's clearly going to be a really good quarterback but he's got growing pains that we've not seen OU had to go through in in many years so um 
they, all they can do to take pressure off of him, the, they need to, and the running game is the top of the well, list. Well, and we didn't, <laughs> because of how the game went, we sort of left this in the rearview mirror, but that drive they had in the third quarter, Barry, you were all set to to excavate that and what you were writing. And, you know, I think what we say, the longest play they had was like 16 yards, but most of them. Yeah, Rattler run. Yeah, most of them were of the seven, five to seven yard variety. And that was a lot of the run game, Barry. It was an eight minute drive. It was 87 yards, 17 plays. And I'm not sure I've ever seen this before. I'm sure it's happened. I just don't remember it in a game I've covered. Oh, you made seven first downs. And we're not talking about, you know, getting penalty, you know. Was it third. seven or eight, Barry? It's, uh, I said eight, but it was seven. It was seven. I went back and counted twice. But seven first downs in one drive is crazy. And it's a drive that should have ended the game. It's a drive that should have uh, cut the Longhorns. Made it 31-17, late third quarter. And it took the fight out of Texas. You know, Texas, from that point on until – Really, five minutes left in the game, six minutes left in the game, Texas was dead. Texas was dispirited. They really weren't doing much. Sam Ellinger, to his credit, sort of resurrected them and got them going again. But that drive was fantastic, and it should have, it should have ended the game. It was a mix of great runs, great running plays, and Spencer Rattler finding his new best friend, Theo Weiss. Yeah, Theo Weiss, I was just going to mention this. OU converts uh, three third downs on that drive. Uh, the, the first one was a pledger run just on third and one. But then Theo Weiss, on consecutive third down plays, uh, catches a 10-yard pass on third and nine and then a 9-yard pass on third and seven uh, to get the first down. Weiss had, uh, what was it, a couple more uh, catches on that drive. This is a guy we hadn't seen a lot of. Uh, really until today, but uh, certainly today he was a great security blanket for, for Spencer Rattler, especially on that drive. But uh, Austin Stogner ends it. Uh, a, a yet another really big day for Austin Stogner, including a, a catch that if he doesn't make, um, uh, you know, the Sooners in a really bad position. Yes, yeah, third and eight, first overtime. Um I don't know, the 11-yard line, I think. Uh, and Rattler throws into coverage. Stogner had a guy on him and a guy pretty close. And Rattler just threw him a bullet high. Stogner went up and grabbed it and came down for a touchdown. So you miss that, and it's fourth and eight, and the you know the game's in serious peril. But I thought it was a strong day for the receivers all the way around. Marvin Mims had a good day. Uh, Charleston Rambo makes an excellent catch on the two-point conversion in the fourth overtime. Um, uh, Weiss comes through out of nowhere. So I thought it was a really good day for the receivers. The Weiss development is interesting to me um, because, I mean, he's he's pretty clearly a talented guy. But, um, I mean, and who knows? I mean, the, these first, you know, couple games, obviously, Spencer Rattler's trying to figure out, you know, his – his bearings really and you know where where he likes to put things and you know it's going to be interesting to see if he was asked about um both Stogner and Weiss after the game he says those are my guys and you know maybe he meant that more generally with wide receivers but he was asked specifically about those two so I wonder if maybe there's you know a growing um a growing uh, appreciation or uh connection there between 
Rattler and uh, and Weiss. I, I just, that was, it was like there was no other receiver out there for a while, guys. I mean, it felt like he only saw Theo Weiss out in the pass patterns there for a minute. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that, that drive was a, a thing of beauty, but we're going to talk quite a bit more about what went on after that drive here. Uh, when we come back, you're listening to the Sooners Extra Podcast powered by the Oklahoma. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoma. And I'm Ryan Aber here with uh, Jenny Carlson and Barry Trammell. And uh, Jenny, right there before the break, we talked about the moment when we all thought this game was over, when uh, when OU killed most of the third quarter on a, a touchdown drive. But you know, really um, thought it was over when Woody Washington pulled down the the interception there uh, late in the fourth quarter and all OU has to do is get a first down and this game is probably uh, put away with uh, with under five minutes to go and that did not happen it's probably more like a three hour 45 minute game than a four hour 43 minute game uh, yeah you know, I the one of the one of the most remarkable things to me was Texas uses all of its timeouts on OU on their offensive possession, and at that point, you know what? There's four and a half minutes left, and Texas is down two touchdowns, and they have no timeouts, and you're just like, well, this is you know, okay, so they get the ball back, but you know, that's the, the that's a fairly that's a fairly difficult routine to execute to, to do that. And even after they score the first touchdown, they don't get the onside kick. And so you think, well, okay, now that, that'll surely do it. You know, no, no, I'm sorry. The Red River rivalry had other ideas and we were in for four to, or four overtime. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy swing. There uh, is very little in the year 2020 that you can count on it seems to be an ever-changing world right now but Oklahoma figuring out ways to lose fourth quarter leads uh, seems to be fairly consistent at this point it, it was crazy to see again by the Sooners when Woody Washington makes that interception there's 503 left in the game OU's up 14 OU gets the ball to 20 so to win to get to overtime Texas has to win the next four possessions Stop, touchdown, stop, touchdown. And they got to do it quickly. And that was, that was OU's downfall, is not only did they not do much in the last five minutes, but they let Texas do it quickly. Score quickly, both, both drives, and then uh, OU doesn't waste much time or, or, or get a first down. So Sooners have got to close games out much better. This is ridiculous. Third straight week. They have, uh, they've had uh, what seems to be either a, a solid lead or a commanding lead in the fourth quarter and let it get away. It's a very disturbing trend despite the heroics in the overtimes. You know, and it was, it was a total team effort. I mean, obviously, you know, 
you can point to defense, you can point to offense, but it even was coaching decisions. And we, we were talking about this right before we started podcasting, but the decision to throw on third down and, you know, it was, it, it, it was a, you know, catchable ball by Austin Stogner. And I thought the defender did a good job to muck it up a little bit and it, it was just enough. But even if you have a pretty reliable play, which thrown to the tight end, I'm all for. Sounds like a great idea on a fairly regular basis from where I'm sitting. It always seems to work. But in that instance where burning clock is almost, well, not almost, it is more important than basically anything you can do at that point to throw it with the possibility that it might be incomplete and stop the clock, which is what happened. You know, the, the, the clock looks entirely different if Oklahoma has an, has a chance to burn off another, you know, 30, 35, 40 seconds there. So yeah, I, that, that was, I thought that was disheartening too, that, you know, you obviously have players on the field who are having a time and, and struggling. And obviously there's sort of the ghosts of the last couple of weeks, I'm sure that are uh, in their heads, but you know, then to not have the best decisions made by the coaches, you, you know, that, that just exacerbated the issue all the way around. Well, and you know, one, uh, one thing we've not talked about that bears uh, a significant nod is the special teams. Kicking games decidedly in OU's favor. That's not always the way it goes with Texas, but Sooners had a great, night, a great day in the kicking game. The one thing you can you can knock is that Gabe Burkich's missed thirty-one yard field goal in the third overtime. What do you think, Barry? About uh, I I get why he did it. Lincoln Riley obviously has great faith in Gabe Burkich, but uh, just sort of shutting down your offense at that point and just playing for position. I would have liked to have uh, just kept running the ball and see what happens. Um, you know, if you fumble, all of a sudden we're sitting here saying, why would you not kick the field goal? I'm a big proponent of kicking third down field goals in overtimes, but um, not second down necessarily. And really that was first down because on, on first down they ran, uh, Spencer Rattler just sort of did a, uh, uh, a quasi quarterback sneak to get the ball in the middle of the field. So, but either way, you know, the truth of the matter is this is not, that was not on Lincoln. You got a kicker that everybody's high on, and you had the ball in the middle of the field, and it's 31 yards. Just make the field goal. You know, we're talking about we're talking about a, uh, a guy that everybody raves about. Until last week, he had never missed a college kick, and then he missed a 54-yarder uh, against the wind in in Ames. So, you know, it, you you had to believe the game was going to be over. In fact, two Sooners ran on the field to celebrate as soon as he kicked it turns out he didn't make it so uh but outside of that the special teams were excellent two block kicks the block field going overtime the block punt there in the second quarter a big return by marvin mims on a punt return in the third quarter i just uh, special teams went sooner's way you know i uh i don't know if i don't know if we'll ever get a chance to talk to gabe burkich but if i could ask him one question about that it looked to me, well, I, this, I know this much, Texas overloaded the left side of, the, of to, on their left side. So as Burkage was looking at it, it was the right side of the line. That, I mean, I don't know how many guys they had over on that side of the center. I would say probably seven or eight maybe. 
and he misses it to his left. So I wonder if there was a conscious thought, hey, those guys are, you know, they're gonna come after me, they're gonna try to get a hand on it like Perion did earlier. You know, you just, it's sort of the, you know, like if you're out on the golf course and you see the water on the left and you, you know, don't hit it left, don't hit it left. Oh crap, I hit it left. Um, I just wonder if there was a little psychology there that, you know, maybe, maybe if he hits it normal, I, you know, or it sort of closes his eyes and doesn't see those guys over there. Maybe he hits it. Maybe he just had something, maybe he had that thought in his head. I can't, I can't send this over the right side. You know, they'll get it if I do. Um, I just wonder what, because I, I have not seen anything quite like that um, on a field goal attempt before. Yeah, it was uh, it was wild, and then I, I think that's when we started thinking about the two-point shootouts that they have this year and the potential for that, which I don't – have we seen one of those in college football this year? Not I don't this think year, we have. no, definitely not. Well, I mean, this is the first year for it, right? No, I think we had it last year. Oh, did we? I okay. think we had it last year. I don't know if anybody went to it or not. But it looked like we were on the verge of it. But then uh, enter one Drake Stoops. Well, it's sort of cool that the the winning touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown that kept OU in front for good, was scored by Drake Stoops. Uh, A really good play by Spencer Rattler, by the way. He uh, he, uh, is flushed from the pie. He's pressured, and he steps up. Instead of running sideways, he steps up uh, to buy himself some more time. Drake Stoops comes free on a crossing pattern, catches it, and sort of just rolls into the end zone pretty easily. Uh, from whatever how long that was 24 yards or whatever it was and it was a uh, you know just a a heads up play by Rattler and a good play by Drake Stoops to get open and the uh, and then and then you make the two-point conversion all of a sudden it's an eight-point lead and you 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 score eight points to start in overtime and your chances of your chances of winning are pretty high because you know they got to score a touchdown and make a two-point conversion just to have a 50-50 chance in the fifth overtime. So that's really when I felt like the Sooners, outside of the block field goal, and then when Drake Stoop scored, that's when I thought the Sooners, that's the two times in overtime when I thought the Sooners were in control and were going to win. Yeah, although, uh, sorry, Jenny, but I was going to say, you know, I sort of thought at that point that it would come down to a two-point conversion there in that overtime just because, when OU got the stop, uh, the drive before, you wondered, well, is this the the one stop that the Sooners defense has in them uh, after playing so well for, for most of uh, regulation? Uh, they were fantastic. Uh, the offense put them in some tough positions there early that led to some points. But um, you wondered there going on to that last drive, Jenny, if uh, OU's defense had anything left in them, especially the way that Sam Ellinger was uh, moving the ball. Yeah, you know, the I would have loved to have seen the two-point conversion shootout. I mean, I was all for that. I thought that would be really entertaining. But I think if it got to that, advantage Texas. Because Sam Ellinger, um, I, I just don't see him getting stopped a whole lot down on the goal line. And, you know, Oklahoma had options, and they would have, you know, they would have probably been able to score some but I just think your likelihood if you're Texas is so much higher um, if you've got Ellinger and frankly I didn't think that they used 
the quarterback run game enough. There was one point, I'm pretty sure it was early in the third overtime, might have been the first play of the third overtime. Ellinger runs, has a nice run, and at that point, the thought went through my head, they're going to put the put this game on Ellinger's shoulders right here. This is where he is going to get the ball every time. They're just going to they're just going to pound it and he seemed very capable. Like I I thought that was the right thing to do. And instead, they, you know, they used him some, but I just really thought they were on the verge of um, just giving him the ball and letting him do work. And um, he was really hard to stop. He's not, he's not a very good passer, guys. I mean, he's a, he's a good quarterback because he figures out ways to win. But as a passer, he's not much. And, and I, but I really think his run game is so effective. And, again, I was just a little surprised they didn't go to it more. You know who, you know who he's like? Jalen Hurts? Tim Tebow. <laughs> I think he's a Tim Tebow clone. I don't think he throws as good as Hurts. Um, Tim Tebow was that way. He wasn't a great passer, but he was rock solid and could run and throw a little and would run into you. The difference was he, Tim Tebow played with a lot better players at Florida than, than Sam has at Texas. Percy Harvin and Aaron Hernandez and that crowd. So that's who he sort of reminds me of Tim Tebow. Yeah, that's not a bad comparison, but yeah, Jenny, they're in the third overtime. Ellinger starts with the rush, and uh, they get a first down on a, on a on a throw right after that, and then it's just incomplete, incomplete, and then uh, it looked like Lincoln Riley made a little bit different move. There was a good chunk of overtimes where OU had no real linebackers on the field and um, had the, the middle of the field open, so if you could find a way through the line, you would get a pretty good gain. But then Nick Benito sort of drops back and acts as a, a spy instead of rushing. And it, it turns out that uh, doing that helped Nick Benito accomplish what he was trying to accomplish for, you know, a lot of the game and get to Sam Ellinger. Yeah, and I think, I think there, yeah, I think there were some wrinkles because pretty clearly, you know, he was, um, he was just waiting for sort of the, uh, a crease in the front of the pocket to open up and just take off you know his his receivers would pull everybody that wasn't on the OU uh, defensive line down the field and he'd just take off and you know that's a that's a very uh successful play for Texas because Ellinger is is really good on his feet so yeah I mean I think that Oklahoma had to do something to have a safety valve there in the middle of the field because um they Oklahoma was able to get some pressure but not a ton and they were going more secondary heavy at that point so you got to have a little more help up there and so I think that did change it I I don't know I just I I I feel like and and Barry just said it you know they they just don't have Texas doesn't have a ton of difference makers I don't think um you know definitely the defense is lacking but even on offense, you just don't see receivers, you know, separating. Uh, the run game doesn't look super outstanding. So, uh, you know, there's just uh, – if they're going to win games, I think a lot of it's going to be on Ellinger. You know, I, I hadn't thought of this. One of the things I wrote about was the fact that Ellinger strikes me as a really good overtime quarterback, veteran, uh, good around the goal line, can run, you know, or throw. But – the one thing that played in OU's favor is you notice the, 
The one time he got free in the overtime was on a 25-yard scramble for a touchdown. The closer Texas gets to the goal line, the less scrambling becomes a, a weapon because the defense isn't as spread out. The, the DBs aren't covering deep. Everybody's fairly close to the, to the line of scrimmage. And I think that helped in corralling Ellinger. When you look at all he did in that last four minutes of the game in regulation, <laughs> he uncorked a bunch of good scrambles from, you know, from the middle of the field and back. Um, so as, as much of a good as I believe he's a good overtime quarterback, his chief weapon, you know, scrambling for yardage out of passing formation was minimized when Texas would get inside the 15-yard line. Yeah, uh, it, it did become tougher for them to, to use Sam Ellinger and, and certainly would have been interesting in a, a format like the two-point shootout to see what would have happened there. But Ellinger yet again killed the Sooners on the ground. I think, what would we say, Barry, 12 career touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, for Ellinger, twice uh, as many as versus anybody the else. Sooners, yeah, twice as many as anybody else. I think the previous record uh, was was six. So uh, also becomes the first quarterback to lose four times in uh, in this in this uh, rivalry game. So there you go on that too. Yeah, one and four for Sam Ellinger against the Sooners with the one win coming a couple years ago uh, during this meeting before OU got him back in the Big Twelve Championship game. Which brings me to Trey Brown. Jenny, it seems like every time we see uh, one of these games come down to the end that uh, Trey Brown, that OU finds a way to pull out, Trey Brown is uh, right there in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, I think Sooner fans can see him getting at Sam Ellinger in the Big 12 championship game a couple years ago. They can see him not giving up on uh, a long cross-country Baylor uh, run in the Big 12 championship game last year. And, uh, yeah, now here he is with that interception in the end zone to end a wild Red River rivalry game. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Trey Brown, as with all, you know, guys who play in the secondary in the Big 12, you're going to have, you're going to have, you know, plays on you. Guys are going to get big plays. They're going to score touchdowns. I mean, that's that's just kind of the way it is in the Big 12. But, Trey Brown has a has a way of of uh, you know making big plays when they need to be made, and so you know you you live with guys that uh, that that can do that for you. Um, would they love it if he you know didn't have the like he had the hold? He would have had another interception in that yeah, game, which he was pretty adamant was not a hold. And I know there were uh, quite a few people who were. Just as adamant about it on Twitter and, and stuff like that. Well, and I I, I watched it a, a couple times on replay, and it was a bang bang play, and right past the line of scrimmage, Trey used his hand, his shoulder pad, to kind of shove the the receiver off kilter a little bit. Um, it wasn't the um, it wasn't the uh, uh, jersey grab of uh, of last week in Ames that we saw on. The Sooners' last interception, but uh, but he definitely affected the the re- uh, the receiver's path to the ball, and um, so I think it was the right call. But yeah, I mean, it, the big plays in his career, it, the highlight reel for him at the end of his time as a Sooner is going to have some pretty significant plays on it. 
yeah, uh, it, I, I thought he was really good. Again, the uh, uh, the hole that came back to bite him. Uh, wrote about uh, the penalties in, in Sunday's or Saturday's Oklahoman, and for a long time, oh, you had a, a, a ton of penalties there in the first and early in the second. I think they were what. Uh, five penalties for 65 yards or, or six for 65 there at one point. Didn't get another one until things started falling apart there late in the fourth. But uh, real quick here before we wrap up, Barry, um, uh, pulling out this win as ugly as it was and as flawed as some of the things were, it's it definitely changes the feeling of this team here heading into uh, the second bye week. Well, it changes the feel because they realize how close they were to being 0-3 in the Big 12. You know, what they want, what they wanted, a shot at the national title or the college football playoff is, you know, sort of out the window. So your next goal, Big 12 championship, that became more difficult today even with the victory. Kansas State wins at TCU. TCU, uh, I mean, sorry, Kansas State and Iowa State have a virtual two-and-a-half game lead on OU because they're two up and they have the tiebreakers. With each passing week, if OU doesn't start gaining ground on those two, you know, the Arlington is not going to happen. And that doesn't even take Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, I think it's just – it's always hard to beat Texas. And the, even when you're better than them, it, it it's, it's difficult. So – beating them is a, is a great accomplishment it might be it might have to settle for being sort of the crowning achievement of this season in terms of how you feel about yourself and you know they they assembled at midfield for the obligatory uh, photo with the golden hat I think that's cool I think it's a moment everybody can remember but I don't think it changes the trajectory of this team which is this they're just not as good as we thought they were no, I would say that's true. And uh, a lot of that, you know, has to do with a group that we thought would be pretty good and struggled in the losses, the, the offensive line. And then I think we I think we overlooked who they lost on defense, you know, when and, you know, they've got suspension, too. I think when you take away you know, three, your three best defensive guys that left for the draft and have shown themselves to be pretty decent as NFL players. So of course they would be missed. Um, you know, I, I think, I think that was, I think those two things, one we didn't see coming, the other we should have seen coming, um, have, have definitely impacted the year, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this team continues to develop. You know, I, I was, you know, what What did Spencer Rattler learn today? What did TJ Pledger, the offensive line, um, the defensive line? I mean, I really, I was really impressed by some of the stuff I saw the defensive line. So, you know, maybe they can't get back into the Big 12 title hunt. They're going to need so much help. But, you know, we've seen years past when they've gotten lots of help we didn't think they'd get. But maybe they don't get that. But I do think it's going to be fascinating to see how they can evolve and grow because they are a fairly young team. I mean, they've got a lot of young pieces. And now, especially if the defense is going to start folding in, you know, the Woody Washingtons and, and uh, whatnot of the world, you're going to continue to see 
that youth and you know every week you're probably going to see signs of both the youth but also the growth yeah i I lied just a second ago when i said that was going to be the last thing because there's one other thing i think we have to talk about here uh before we wrap this thing up and and barry that's the atmosphere Uh, it was so weird driving in was so weird walking in was so weird in the stadium after the game late in the game you know it would have been interesting for instance uh there after woody washington's interception how many texas fans would have left and and headed out into the fair it's harder to tell um but this is a a red river uh showdown shootout rivalry whatever you want to call it that's been unlike any other that we've seen it was just totally surreal you know we went down you and i went down before the game walked around the uh, plaza right in front of the cotton bowls west side which is uh, where they had some concession stands opened up and you know some fans milling about and we heard an ou uh, fan just say it's sad it was just sad and i told jacko on the way you know on the walk away from the stadium this is one of the events to me of the of the seven months of covid this is one of the most striking events when you sort that makes you sort of realize just the stark difference that's made the pandemic to shut down something like the texas state fair and turn it into a ghost town i mean that's a that's a big operation that goes through a lot of money and when it sits silent for those 24 days of the fair that's a sign that something serious is going on you know i uh, the, all the stuff before the game it was very striking how how empty things were but to me maybe the most telling and we were already sort of in our post game mode up in the press box but you know the game ends at 3:48 we you know we're all keeping tabs because of how long it was and i can't say exactly what time but at 4:09 i looked at my watch so you know a little over 20 minutes later and it was basically empty i mean field was empty it wasn't just the player i mean usually the post game celebration takes a long time because you've got um you've got a lot of people down there families come down past players are there there's a lot of you know congratulatory photos meetings just all that sort of thing and it takes a while you know usually you see guys that are still out there 20 30 minutes after 20 minutes after the end of that game everybody was gone the stands were empty i mean it was it was like nothing had happened so and and i i would venture to guess it might have been more like 15 minutes when everybody was gone um so it was definitely odd just just it reinforced how few people were there and how different it was that was sort of the you know last punctuation on the day that that said to me just how strange it all was yeah an odd day all around an odd day outside the stadium an odd day inside the stadium Uh, once again OU finds a way to beat Texas 53 to 45 in four overtimes Uh, just 
sort of the craziness that we expect from OU Texas, but certainly this game was crazy in a completely different way. But we're going to wrap it up there on the Sooners Extra podcast. Once again, I'm Ryan Aber, joined by Jenny Carlson and, and Barry Trammell. You can read our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere.